to a special episode of the Fem Noir Files. We are doing a special episode commemorating World AIDS Day with the Philadelphia alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hello, KB and Shug. How are you guys? Man, I'm blessed. That's all I'm going to say is I'm blessed. I'm sleepy. Oh, Lord, what's new? You know what? I was at work last night. I know, you were. Thank you, and I got up and drove to come hang out with y'all. I know, the hardest little work in Delta Fem Noir Files. Don't, don't encourage that. Like, what you mean, don't, don't encourage that? Don't, I'm on a mission. Don't encourage that at all, because you know, I'm just saying. What, what you saying? I'm just saying. What Ladies, saying? we have guests today. We can't play today. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So yes, we are on our best behavior today, ladies. Yes, ma'am. Okay, because we try to do big things. All right, anyway. So let's talk about the purpose of this episode. World AIDS Day was first observed in 1988. Every year, the goal is really to bring that world attention to the HIV epidemic, endeavor to increase HIV awareness and knowledge, speak out against HIV stigma, and call for an increased response to move toward ending the HIV epidemic in the US. And this year's theme, did you guys see that the theme? It is ending the HIV epidemic, equitable access, everyone's voice. I did not mess up them E's. You didn't. I'm so proud of you because that alliteration is hard. Yes, ma'am. You and you know, you know, sometimes even though I be okay. You better come through. I heard <laughs> you, all of you. You better get it. Okay. Equitable. Yes. Okay. Get it, DJ KB. <laughs> That's what's up. So now we are going to have Suge and KB share the bios of our first two guests. Then we'll share some statistics. Then we will bring in our experts to have a lively and informative discussion. Let's get this party started. All right. So first up, we'll be talking about Dr. Kimberly Brown. Kimberly Brown is the National Field Director for Janssen Infectious Diseases and Vaccines. In this role, she leads the development of medical strategy for field-based medical teams and oversees development for the broader organization, including vaccines. Prior to her current role, Kim served as a scientific director for Janssen Research and Development, leading two large phase three trials and several phase one studies. From 2015 through January 2018, she served as the U.S. Medical Director for the HIV franchise. Before that, Kimberly served as Associate Medical Director of U.S. Medical Affairs Infectious Diseases, where she worked on both the HCV and HIV clinical teams, leading efforts on research trials as well as product launch activities. In her free time, Kimberly serves as recording secretary and co-chair of the technology committee. You better come on. For Delta Sigma <laughs> Theta for Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and as president-elect for the Junior League of Philadelphia. She is also a board member of Vetri Community Partnership, the Brodsky Center Advisory Board, 
Pennsylvania Academy Academy of Fine Arts, UNC <laughs> Board of Visitors, and UNC's Alumni Committee on Racial and Ethnic Diversity. So everyone, let's welcome Kimberly Brown. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know, right? We should have. We really should have had <laughs> well, some theme music. We on should here. have. Okay, we messed up on that. Let's get to our next guest, Dr. Loretta Sweet Dramont is the Vice President of Drexel University focusing on health and health equity. She is also a professor at, in Drexel's College of Nursing and Health Professions. She is one of nation's foremost researchers in the field of HIV AIDS prevention. To date, nine of her evidence-based HIV STD and pregnancy prevention curricula have been designated by the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Adolescent Health in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for National and International Dissemination. Dr. Jamont's research has changed public policy as it relates to the use of theory-driven, culturally appropriate, evidence-based HIV STD risk reduction interventions in community and clinical settings. Prior to coming to Drexel University, she spent 20 years as a professor at the University of Pennsylvania in the School of Nursing. She graduated from Hampton University, all right, HBCU, we do that, <laughs> in 1978 with a BSN in nursing, the University of Pennsylvania with her MSN in psychiatric mental health nursing in 1982, and a PhD in education in 1987. She is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Did I did I do it the right way? Come on, okay. Oh, oh. oh, they do the swing. Yeah, okay, I missed that right. part. That's all right. Well, listen. That's, that's right. You gotta do it. <laughs> we, we gonna we gonna excuse that for today, <laughs> but we just want to make sure everybody's clear. This is a Philadelphia Lummy chapter. Okay, I'm just gonna let that go. All right. <laughs> you have to be a visitor. <laughs> I know where my home is. But listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is really black girl magic. So yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. This is what this is. And I love, I love, I love it. I love. Okay, let's go. Anyway. So we're going to share some statistics regarding HIV and AIDS before we begin our discussion with doctors Jermont and Brown. So 40 years ago was the first known case of AIDS that happened in the U.S. in June of 1981. As of 2019, there are 1.2 million people living with AIDS in the United States, and there are more than 35,000 new infections each year. HIV tends to disproportionately affect certain populations, including racial and ethnic minorities, gay and bisexual men, and other men that have sex with other men and transsexual women. Antiretroviral therapy, did I say that correctly, ART, has substantially reduced HIV-related mor morbidity and mortality, has improved long-term outcomes for people with HIV, and plays a key role in HIV prevention. Currently, there are 13% of people who have HIV but do not know it, and there are 50% of people who, with HIV and that has been vi virally suppressed. So now we are going to bring in uh, Drs. Brown and Dr. Jamont. So KB, let's get started. That's what's up. Welcome again, ladies, to this platform. I think one of our main things we always talk about on this podcast is it being about black people. Mm -hmm. You know, Femme Noir Files is about black women. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we touch up on all issues that have to deal with anything with black people. And so we're really excited 
when the Philly alum came to us, um, International Awareness and Involvement Committee, it's, it's my committee. Guys, I do work and do actual things outside of the podcast. I know how to be business-like. So anyway, you know, when they came and, you know, it was like, let's do this idea. We were excited. We always have Dr. Brown every year for World AIDS Day. Um, and we had Dr. Jamont, I think, the last two years. So, you know, she's become a part of this family. And so I think that's one of the, the most important things that we do kind of talk about, you know, now. I think let's kick this off and ask, first of all, just so everyone, we level set, everyone is clear, what does HIV AIDS stand for? and what are some of the symptoms of HIV? So I'll kick it off. HIV stands for Human Immunodeficiency Virus, so that's actually the virus that causes AIDS. And AIDS is Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. So when we think about some of the symptoms between the two, usually we think about what we see and not necessarily about what we don't see. So a lot of times people see people that have weight loss, they may see some um, shedding of the fat in their faces, they may see or hear about fatigue, being tired, loss of hair, things of that nature. But there's a lot that actually goes on with HIV that you don't see, which impacts the immune system and various organs throughout the body. Thank you for that, because I think sometimes we just say these words and this terminology, we know what it means, but everyone else not, might not necessarily know what that means. So let's talk real quickly, and I'm gonna start with you, uh, Dr. Jamon. How is HIV transmitted? Can you maybe tell us about how is it transmitted? Well, HIV is transmitted, number one, by unprotected sex. Let's get busy and let's get clear mm -hmm. because people are having unprotected sex is keeping our keeping this virus real and alive. Yeah. And so if we can curtail that and get that under control, maybe we can have a way of looking at how to prevent this better. Mm -hmm. So unprotected sex, you know, um, blood and blood semen, vaginal secretions and you still breast milk, I think. I was looking it up, yeah. and I think that you can still yes. get it that way. And so if we think about all of those things, and number one, when they fixed the blood supply so there was not as much with blood anymore, but the issue that we as sisters can, can control is this unprotected sex stuff. And so if we can get, and we have to understand that HIV can be prevented in certain kind of ways. And we can talk more about that when you come to that question, but I was ready to go on a roll, so I'll slow down to you. For sure. <laughs> one other way that it can be transmitted is mother-to-child transmission. Yes. Um, yeah. So when a pregnant woman is having a baby, if she doesn't realize that she's actually HIV infected, then she can actually transmit the virus to her unborn child as well. And so they normally give medicines to pregnant yeah. women who already have HIV, so that Correct. way it can lessen that transmission. How good is that right now? So it's off the charts, actually. Okay. So we, it's rare to actually see um, an HIV infected baby nowadays, wow. just because the medications are so good and because most women during their pregnancy are started on antiretrovirals mm -hmm. very early on, and so it gets the viral load down, so it reduces the risk of transmission okay. for the most part. And they're very careful about it, too. I think yeah. your daughter just had a baby, and just knowing how they, all the questions that they ask in your prenatal time to make mm -hmm. sure all this is okay is just really remarkable. And constant yeah. testing yes. yeah. as well. <clears throat> okay. So make sure that you're getting your prenatal care if you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, so that kind of touches on and going into the question that I would like to ask you guys. So HIV and AIDS has been around for over 40 years now. So can you discuss some of the advances in our knowledge of HIV and AIDS from, you know, starting back then all the way up through today? Yeah, there's been tremendous advances with respect to antiretrovirals, just what we know about the disease, how it impacts us, as well as prevention methods. So um, Dr. Dramat mentioned, you know, unprotected sex. We all know about condoms. We know all know about abstinence. But there's some breakthroughs that have come through within the last 10 to 15 years, and even more so, some are on the horizon about PrEP. 
So what is prep? Yeah. Tell yeah. me what prep is. Right. Am I getting quiz? Okay. Isn't that wait? So, isn't that the medication that men can take to sort prevent. of a, yeah prevent is for contraction? Prevention. And see, I want to mention that specifically because I think it's a common misconception that only men can. Yeah, they think yeah. only oh. men. I think it's for anybody. Oh, it's like, they've, been, they've been marketing it to men. Oh. They've been marketing it to men. But so why is that? Because you know, and now I can't kind of speak on behalf of that company. Okay. Here goes the disclaimers. Just okay. get ready. Right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what about women? But you do see that in the commercials that it is. It more is for everyone. For men. It is for it's everyone. For everyone. Okay. And it, this is something that I want us, specifically as Black women, to know about. That there are options for us to make sure that we're doing more than just condoms. Okay. So there are two medications that are out right now um, that can be used. They're HIV medications, but they can be used to prevent HIV transmission. There's also on the horizon, probably within the next month or two, a long-acting injectable. So basically wow. that means you can get an injection once a month and it will prevent you from getting HIV. And, oh, then wow. and so wow. this, I think when we did this last year, really? it was coming or oh, earlier wow. this year, right? Because yeah. we did this during Black AIDS awareness. Yeah. Oh, wow, it's coming, okay. Yep, so it'll be here. And clinical trials had about 4,500 patients within, mm -hmm. and they only saw four actual infections. They wow. were really? That's wow. amazing. So right. there were 13 overall, but some of those um, people actually had HIV before they actually got into the gotcha. trial, so there were only real four breakthrough infections. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That exactly. I mean, considering, you know, the times that we live in now with the COVID vaccines and everything, so we're kind of getting used to having yeah. to take a shot. Well, anyway. well, we hope we're getting used to it. Yeah, I got popped three times. <laughs> I'm ready to get popped again, okay? Pop oh me God. every month if you need to. So, um, not me. I don't like needles. I mean, it's quick, though. But you I have a tattoo. Isn't that what we always say? Let's go there. Ooh. So, in, in mental health, <laughs> so, Dr. Jamal is with me. Wait, okay, go ahead. Ask the question. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Because you I got to answer. The nature of our show. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, we like to say, oh, I don't like needles. But you have several tattoos. No, 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 no. She has one. I have one. Oh. And also, did you not see the photo in the story of when I got my tattoo? But you have other things that you got a needle for. Okay, we're getting off topic. Okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure the needles are clean when you get your tattoo. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes ma'am. Absolutely. But the point of the story, the point of the comment was that we had to normalize this in some kind of way. If you kind that's of think true. about it, you know, me being in the mental health background and we already having long acting injectables in our area, mm -hmm. this is something that we always talk about. Hey, guys, I'm putting them on whatever degree. Your professional hat now. There you go. Come, come, come through. So they pay that check. So anyway, so, you know, that's what, you know, we talk about. So we really want to normalize it. And I'm hoping that we start moving into that direction so we can really get some traction. And when things come and things are available, that we're not the last ones to get it. Yeah. Right. It's one thing that, that have it available. It's another thing having access to it. That is. And so what we have to do, I'm so excited about this news. Now, how do we make sure that people that look like me and you right. get it? Absolutely. And that's where your voice comes in. You said about the voice and the theme of today's presentation is that we have to empower our sisters with the voice and the knowledge to be able to articulate and go talk and advocate for self. If we don't give them the skills, the tool, the power, and the support to go talk to their provider, it's not going to happen. It's or not. talk to each other. And right. what you got to know is that you know your sisterhood is strong. You know your sisters are here. Just take a friend with you. Yeah. Take somebody with you. But just go. Once we find out that this thing is available. We have to make sure that we inform our sisters to let them know that it's here and how to get it right. and to break those barriers because you need to know the healthcare providers are not going to be like, hey, it's here, come and get it, everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we got the doors open, it's free. It's, that is, 
they would put barriers are always there automatically, yeah. whether it's fear, mistrust, um, insurance, racism, <laughs> yeah, right. insurance, all of the isms, yeah. you know, institutional racism, you name it, yeah. it exists. And sure. So if we want to break down this barrier and make sure that we get the medication that will prevent us from getting infected, then we need to make sure that we advocate and give each other the voice because we need to give voice to the voiceless. And Absolutely. I think we've learned enough lessons during this time, right? You know, I, I talked about us seeing it in mental health and now seeing it in COVID land and so forth. We've learned enough lessons that we know how to try to, you know, energize our community. We've seen different methods used from the Black Doctors Consortium yeah. out of Philadelphia. We've seen these methods being used. Let's make sure that these methods are put into place awesome. when it's that time. Make it happen. All right, let's do <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so it. thing I wanted to mention okay. is also yes. a health equity issue mm -hmm. yes. um, that people yeah. don't think about. And so oftentimes, you know, my little plug for clinical trials. Let's do that. And that was a past about, episode, guys. Check yes. that out. We had, we had what is a clinical trial? Tell, tell yeah. me about it because this is critical because we do not participate in clinical trials no, for correct. Yeah. issues. Of racism right. and all the things that happened in our past and our history of mistrust. Go ahead, girl, take it. From yep. Me. So from there, it really becomes a health equity issue that we don't need to be the barrier to us getting optimum health care yep. mm -hmm. because we're not in clinical trials. We right. don't want to participate in them because of Tuskegee, right? And, you know, various other atrocities that have actually taken place. But doctors aren't going to be likely to use these drugs in us if we're not in them. That's right. We're not going to be right. likely to use any of these products or these vaccines or whatever exactly. else it may be mm -hmm. because we don't see people that look like us exactly. in clinical trials. Yep. So it really is going to be up to us to close that equity gap by standing up, doing our due diligence, making sure that we have the right amount of information, but also taking the step to make sure that we have data in black and brown people. Absolutely. So in keeping with that same theme that we were talking about as far as being our sister's keeper and also making sure that black women are educated and aware, during the 80s and 90s when AIDS first came on the scene, a lot of women were contracting the disease from their partners who were having sex with other men. Is that still a threat or is that still something that women need to look out for and be cautious of today? Of course, of course. You don't know who your partner has slept with or is sleeping with. Right. As mm -hmm. he's sleeping with you. That's just whether you're married, whether right. you're single, mm -hmm. whether you're in love. We tend to, as women, be trusting. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe the first time we have sex, we might say use protection, but after that, ah, he loves me. I just know he's not used doing anything else. And so because of the thing of that fear of, and trusting and loving, we're doing, we just dropped the condom ball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so part of that issue to me is that we have to empower our sisters still today. This drug can be here. We still got to be protecting ourselves. We still right. got to put ourselves first. We still have to have the voice to say, if you want a little bit, put a condom on it. Yay. Oh, okay. okay. I like that. Okay. If you want a little bit, put a condom on it. Come on, give me back. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 you know, I'm, I'm tempted to start rhyming. <laughs> I said I was going to be on my best behavior. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is it doesn't matter if you're 25 or if you're 75. Right. And I that's think that that's yeah. a common misconception as well, is that older women can't get it because they're like, oh, I can't get pregnant. I've already gone through menopause. Mm -hmm. And we see that the older population is one of the leading demographic groups wow. that is actually getting HIV. Yeah, and a lot of divorced women, a lot of yeah. single women. It's nursing just home oh, nursing homes. Yeah, um, I was gonna mention that. But those, you know, it's just, it's just really this whole thing. What it is is that we don't have the confidence in our skills to be able to negotiate condom use. Mm -hmm. And we have the skills to make sure that the man puts it on. Right. Or we yes. have the skills to negotiate, hey baby, put this condom on, I know how to make it feel good for yeah. your baby. Right. So it's those hedonistic things that get in the way. He, he knows how to say no. Baby, I want it real, I want it this, I want it that way. And then we say, well, please put this, oh no, baby, I want you. Then we say, 
Okay. Yeah. And you know what? That's a part of that other piece I mm-hmm. want to bring up because I think we, for so long, you remember when On the Down Low book came Ooh, out? Mm-hmm. People thought it was just one kind of person. So I'm glad that we're talking about that because it's not just one type of person. It can be a heterosexual yeah. man that is bringing it in. So I think we have lost traction in what might we've seen these increased risk with women because we thought it was just, oh, that's just that population. No, no, no. no. We mm-hmm. can't. You never know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't mm-hmm. know who they're sleeping with. You don't know what they're doing when they leave your bed. You don't know what they're doing. You just don't know. And so when you don't know, you got to be safe. So that's the message. Be so safe. one of the things that I do is I always ask a potential partner, do you have sex with men, women, or both? And they mm-hmm. look at me, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, you have to That's ask. That's real. A lot of people don't identify with being gay. Yes, absolutely. So you have to ask them in such a way where it's not threatening to them, where they can hopefully tell you the truth about it. Absolutely. And I ask that before I even get to the condom use. Go ahead, girl. Get so. your strategies right. in place. She's giving, you, she's giving you how to talk about it. She's telling you you got to use a condom. And so young people and in prep. And, right. and prep. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a process here, but we just got to make sure our women are skilled enough to be able to talk about it, negotiate and go get what they need to be safe. Right. Thanks. And then also, I think it's important for people to get tested, like, you know, especially yes. the first time when you have a new partner, make sure that you guys are both tested. But I think it's also important for people to continuously get tested throughout the relationship because, you know, although you start out one way, like you said, mm-hmm. you never know who somebody might be sleeping with. So that way, just to make sure your base are covered you always know your status and I wouldn't even put it past married people exactly <laughs> even married yes absolutely I've seen come into clinic right so even sort of going back into what Dr. Jamat was saying earlier as far as a lot of the isms that we as black women face when it comes to getting tested and being educated what are some other barriers that still exist in our community when it comes to getting tested getting treatment especially during COVID, like for the last year and a half, what are some barriers that continue to face our community? Well, stigma is still there. Stigma, shame, guilt, you know, the same things that have been there for a long time. Um, embarrassment, and so those are the barriers, as well as insurance and all those other issues. But you want to add, sis, what I'm thinking? It's more. also, to the point of stigma, it's how we talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being on rotations and one of the reasons that I actually got into HIV is because my preceptor at the time said that people got HIV because they were dirty. Wow. Because they were dirty. And so, you know, after time and as I've reflected and I've mentioned this before, if you've had any sexual experience, if you've had a child, Mm -hmm. you've been one sexual experience away from actually getting HIV. Mm -hmm. So it's not above anyone. When we look at the demographics, it does not discriminate according to age, religion, color, Race. sexual preference, yeah. mm-hmm. nothing. So we just have to keep that in mind overall. All right, so I know you guys were talking about um, the prep and everything. Um, so with all of the advancements that have taken place over the past 40 years, what's the current status of a possible cure or vaccine for HIV or AIDS? Go ahead, go ahead, Doc, you know that stuff. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm so sure with the prevention, of, she's with the medication stuff. So right. There's lots of cure research that is ongoing. Several different companies um, have that underway. There've been several different clinical trials that have looked at different parts of um, different proteins, the envelope, sanctuary sites, and things of that nature, probably over the last 20 years. Um, but now we're actually seeing a lot of that come together Um, to be more formulated to actually prevent and have a cure. Um, With respect to different medications, there's always new medications and and things that are coming out. And what we're finding now is that they're actually getting more tolerable and they're getting much easier to take. 
So now we have long-acting injectables. We also are on the forefront of having a super long-acting injectable where more or less someone who is living with HIV would have to take an injection twice a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I'm about to pull a six month? We about to pull a six month. Not I'm not us. I not us. I, okay. Not, not us. us. Okay. Not us. But there is research being done. And with respect to um, vaccines, there is has been ongoing uh, research within uh, HIV with respect to prevention from that standpoint, whether it's people who are not currently living with HIV or those who are actually living with HIV as a means of suppression. So that work is ongoing as well. So keep an eye out for that. That's important stuff. So I'm glad to hear that because that's, that's what's really going to make a, a, a dent in this whole yeah. epidemic. And, uh, so. and we're pretty close. Well, um, so there's a phase three clinical trial that's actually taking place right now for an HIV vaccine. So hopefully we'll get the results of that in the next few years. And then how do we start prepping our community? I know forums like this will help to prep, so that now you're already hearing it. You're going to be like, oh, I heard, on this, on, I heard yeah. this already, right? How do, else do we start prepping our community so that they can, we can have better uptake in like wanting to? One of, the, one of the things that we're very much involved with is, is with community engagement and mm-hmm. activities. How do we empower our community? How do we walk with our community, talk with our community, to empower our community to be able to, to understand when these things come about? Because health equity is important. And mm-hmm. to make sure if we don't get it, you know, the inequities will continue to rise. Right. And so what you're doing today in terms of this form, what our sororities are doing, your sorority and my sorority and others, and right. we, well, whatever we can do to get the word out, with our faith-based institutions, what we can do to get our word out, with our streets, salons, barbershops, you name it, wherever we can go in our community to empower them with the knowledge and the skills to be able to share, because that's where it is. And another thing that's important is empowering our mothers to talk to our kids. Yes. Parent-child communication is just key yes. to this epidemic and we have not been empowered ourselves to teach our children our teenagers 10 11 12 13 14 15 and 16 we have their first sexual encounter at not 10 t- yeah. right and so I think that's because it's you know sex is still ready. A, a taboo subject like you say you're not ready it's still a taboo yes. subject in our community i have two papers that just came out in the journal of adolescent health around parent-child communication mm. and both demonstrated efficacious behavioral after interventions that was able to show that the children's behavior changed based on talking to the parents. Wow. And so oh, one was no. in faith-based institutions and the other one you know, was in, um, in housing developments in Philadelphia, teaching mothers how to talk to their sons. Mm. And so it was really, so those papers are out, I get them to you, but we need to know that there are strategies and ways that we can empower our mothers and fathers to be able to talk to our children, because that is the key. Because yes. they out there, if you don't talk to them, guess what? They're Somebody else is, exactly. their friends are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, the little boyfriend that you would think exactly. would be mm-hmm. So yep. you gotta, we, gotta, we gotta get our power back as parents. Yep, Maybe absolutely. And, and it's a community thing. So yeah. it's not just yes. the parents, it's the aunties, yeah. the big oh, sister. The village. Yeah. 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 Everyone else. It takes AKA, a village. You know, we call it the village in yeah. a black community. That's so right. We love our village. We, yeah. My yeah. village, I do it. I can't do it without my village. I can't Me do it and Jesus my village either. in the village. <laughs> okay. So this it's is a shout out to the village. Shout yes. out to the, I shout out my village. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is a great time to bring in our collegiate members. Um, even though they're not as young as 14, 15, 16, they are younger. I don't, I, Still can't Young get ladies. with how old yeah. I am, but they are definitely in a different generation <laughs> and are much younger than the three of us. So we want oh, to. Oh wait, all you, yes, all you really have to do is listen to the episode. You'll know how old L is. Really? Oh, not just L. You too. Wait a minute. Sis. <laughs> this is not about me right wait. now. I just want to say 
I'm the baby. Nobody okay, wait, cares. Wait, 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 Nobody cares. All right, go ahead. So now we want to introduce you all to our collegiate guests and panelists for the day. So first up is Shaquanda Washington, or affectionately nicknamed Shaq. She is originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is a senior enrolled at the nation's first HBCU, Cheney University of Pennsylvania. She is a dual baccalaureate student majoring in education and psychology with a cumulative 4.0 GPA. Hey, black girl magic. Yes. <laughs> Attending Cheney has exposed Shaq to a variety of scholarship opportunities, as well as enabled her to be a part of several campus clubs and organizations. She's a Keystone Honors recipient and a Richard Humphrey scholarship recipient. She is also a proud member of the Delta Tau chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Did you see I did the hair pop like we was back? Yes, okay. sorry, I had a flashback, I had a flashback. <laughs> and she actually serves as the financial secretary of her collegiate chapter. She is also a member of the National Council of Negro Women which also was founded by a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, so our Dorothy Irene Heights. She is also a current board member of Cheney's Judicial Conduct Board, a Title IX ambassador, as well as an advocate for children's welfare and development. So welcome, Shaq, to the podcast and the discussion. Welcome. All right, so also welcome to the panel. We have Demaya Stevens, who is a sophomore at Temple University, majoring in early childhood education. Source Stevens is a spring 21 initiate of the Epsilon Delta chapter. She hails from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Prior to college, she graduated from Philadelphia School of Performing Arts String Theory, where she was a classical ballet major. Nice. Oh. Okay. She is trained and danced professionally throughout Philadelphia, New Jersey, and New York. She has performed with Ballet Dynamics and Elyon Dance Theater. In addition to her passion for dance, she has an unwavering desire to serve the community. She has participated in a myriad of service projects, including raising funds for AIDS, participating in the AIDS walk while still in her stroller with her mother, sickle cell walk run, feeding the homeless, donating masks during the COVID pandemic, collecting products to combat period poverty on college campuses, as well as mentoring and teaching dance to school-aged children. Her ultimate goals are to teach young children and own a dance studio to inspire young students in the arts and to help them incorporate the arts as a coping and healing mechanism. She states while there have been significant breakthroughs with treatment and medication, AIDS awareness and prevention continues to be paramount in our communities and on our campuses. Volunteering and making an impact in our communities is paying homage to our loved ones who suffered and died fighting these, this illness. So everyone, please, let's welcome Miss Maya Stevens. Ooh. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. So we know that, you know, you you young ladies are a little younger than, than us. <laughs> only, <laughs> only, only a little. <laughs> like, let's not, it's not a, <laughs> a huge but amount. It, we thought it was important like to, to get various um, <laughs> voices from various generations um, on, the, on the show. So how concerned are you and your friends about contracting HIV and AIDS? So we're not necessarily too concerned, only because we practice being safe and abstinence. We preach that daily about protecting ourselves and being aware, but we do worry about meeting new people and not knowing their status and just 
making sure we're safe in general. And just to piggyback off Shaq, I would say, as she said, we do practice safely. However, I think someone stated it before that it's really only looked at as like a problem in the LGBTQ community versus mm -hmm. the African-American or heterosexual community in general. So a lot of people in my generation, I would say don't take it as serious as mm -hmm. it should be. Yeah. We don't see it on TV anymore. Yeah. We don't see Magic that, yeah. Johnson anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not an issue. Yeah. So one uh, another question that we have for you all is, do you think that your schools do a good job of raising awareness about HIV and AIDS? And if not, what more could they be doing? Well, as you guys know, I attend Temple University, which is a predominantly white institution. And it is very diverse, and I would say that they do try to bring awareness. However, I feel like there's always more that can be done. And one thing that I can say, like, in general for this year, like, my, you know, that's Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, my organization, we did participate in the Philadelphia AIDS Walk as well as, you know, another organization on campus. However, we were the only two organizations that were, you know, black and participated. And other than that, it wasn't really anything on campus to really show or like bring awareness to what's really going on. Shaq, what about you? I agree. I feel like there could, there could be more to be done. At my school, we do have classes that incorporate health and they talk about those diseases, but I feel like it should be more being done. Being as though we had a pandemic, it was less participation. Mm -hmm. When we do have things, it's more so having an outsider come in and help facilitate the event. Yes. And you know, that's a good question. About, you mentioned a pandemic, and I think I was gonna ask this question earlier. Do we know what the data is right now, the effect of pandemic? I know we mentioned this earlier in the we're year. We're just talking about right. it ourselves. Go ahead, you can answer Yeah, it's a little too soon because they haven't done the surveillance data um, as of yet. Usually it takes about two years oh. to actually get that. But what we have seen is a spike, especially of STDs in Philadelphia. And STDs and HIV are like girls going to the mall. You never mm -hmm. see a girl going by herself. Right, that's oh. right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> with the little colloquialisms and the sayings today, I'm a fan. <laughs> I, love it. I just need y'all to write those down for us when we finish, so I'll give y'all credit. I just want you know to say that when that's we write today. That's right, don't you? You yeah, credit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to add is what they were talking about. It's, it's I'm being a professor at a university setting and being in a university professor for over 30 years. It's, just, it's interesting to see how when this when we first was talking about AIDS, it was everywhere. It was posters, it was booklets, it was things, it was in the dorms, it was teachers, it was trying to get condoms on campus, it was all the condom machines in the dorms. They were really pushing it. And over the years, it kind of dwindled mm -hmm. down. Definitely. In terms of what's the message I wonder today. why. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because I feel like you got something. In yeah, when HIV first came on the scene, it was called GRID. Yep. Gay-related yeah. immunodeficiency mm -hmm. yep. syndrome. Yeah. Primarily yeah. Caucasian males. Right. Yes. Now that the demographic has changed, you don't hear as much about it. There oh, you go. that yeah. makes sense. And when, yeah. but, but with that being said, and we know demographics have changed, what about the HBCUs? What about yeah. who we are and what we need to be doing better at our schools because we need to be safe and we need to make sure that the statistics that they're talking about us is really not that bad and that we can grow and become better. And so these predominantly white institutions still need to do because we are on those campuses and still involve ourselves with each other or with other races. You know, sex is sex and people are just having sex all kinds of ways. And so, and not to say that it's all safe. And so this guy know that on college campuses, there's gotta be a stronger, better message in the dorms, in the programs, and wherever, because my concern is just the um, a drinking, the drinking and the sex. 
yeah. the behaviors and the sex. So sex is one thing, but the, but the other behaviors make you do other things. And so how do we make campuses stay safe for our children? Yeah. yeah. We are paying our and money to send them there. So how do we make sure that the places where our children are going to grow to learn to be is safe for them? Yeah. And I think one thing that people don't realize is there's been some data looking at cases of HIV on college campuses, and they see that they're higher on college campuses than they are in the general population. Yeah. So there was a study done in North Carolina a few years ago just looking at the North Carolina system, higher there than the rest of the state. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's your point is well taken. Nobody, we go back to who's talking to these kids before they go to college. And then yeah. they're freshmen by themselves, but free, loose, and new. Right. And nobody has ever talked to them about these kind loose. of conversations. I like, <laughs> I like that one too. Free, <laughs> loose, and new. And new. <laughs> you know how college campus are. They didn't leave people on the block. <laughs> So that kind of dives into the question that I would like to ask you guys, you know, as far as being on campus. So, like, are condoms readily available? Like, are they available in the clinic? Because I want to say the last time I was on FAM's campus, I do know, because we have the co-ed dorms now, which is new. They got co-ed dorms? We have co-ed dorms. Okay, we're not that old. Right. They might have just did this. But okay, that's now that some of the dorms are co-ed, I do remember being in the lobby, and there was like a bucket of condoms like sitting right there. So in case you did need one, you knew where to go to, to get one. So do you guys see any of that on campus? Like... I don't personally. I'm pretty sure that they are like available in like your typical clinics and places that they normally would be, but um, they aren't just like sitting around in like a dorm room Readily or anything. Available. Yeah, no. Wow. What about you, Shaq? I do actually see that in our health and wellness center, they do have those things out there and accessible for students to grab and get. We also, our chapter, Delta Tall, we actually had an event last, the year before last, where we had someone come to do STI screenings and we gave out a bunch of condoms as well. So we always try to make sure we're doing our part to keep students safe. No, that's what's up. And I think we were just kind of talking about the differences in the years, right? Mm -hmm. So when, you know, we were little, you know, we've had shows like A Different World, we had Girlfriends, we had the movie Philadelphia with Will Smith in there um, that discussed HIV AIDS. That was Denzel Washington, KB. It was Denzel and Tom. It was Denzel and Tom. Yes, it was Denzel. It was Denzel. I like the way L corrected me okay. more than the way I like <laughs> should correct me. The, the point is that we had a movie, okay? Let's get back to the point of this. Well, I, I kind of do want to say that even when I it comes to... I know, but even when I want to say, like, with Philadelphia and the Telltale Heart, those come from a white male gay sure. perspective. Yeah. So, And very advanced disease that you could look at somebody and tell. And tell and that that's that's the big problem is yeah, people right. think they can look at someone and tell and you can't. Right. Yeah, you can. So I think we had those movies, right? Whoever was acting in them. Correct, KB. Um, correct, KB. You know, but this generation, your generation, you have shows like Pose. And, you know, I guess Pose, so I'll... If you listen to the episodes, I don't watch Pose. But I'm told that it's based in the 80s and 90s. So Correct. even though it's like based back then, right, you all have that kind of a show. Do you think that these shows have influenced or Pose has influenced the behavior? Like, do people talk about Pose and those other messages that they're trying to get out in that show? Like, have you guys recognized that it's a message in there? 
around HIV AIDS? Um, I would definitely say that I recognize the message. However, I don't think that my generation in general really looks at the root of the problem. I would say that since the show is based on the LGBT community, it's kind of hard for problem. people to want to watch it all the time, which is unfortunate, but true. And so maybe we're missing something there, right? Because we're it's focused on one community that needs yes. attention, mm -hmm. but then like you say, and it's back to the women, women only thinking that, oh, that's just that community when it affects everyone. So maybe Excellent. we need more shows that like the different world. All right, you're up, yeah. producer. Well, you know. Come on, DJ ahead, KB. Do I have the next I'm, Issa Rae over here. I'm trying to be somebody assistant or trying to get out of what I'm currently doing. Oh, Ooh. Lord. You, you got to make it, KB. <laughs> No, I think that's I think that's a good point though to recognize that there's this gap. Yeah. And how do we If not me then who? <laughs> I'm going to work with you. I'm trying to be your assistant. Anyway, there we go. We'll all help you. you know, Thank you. <laughs> all right. So what role can we all play in helping to end and or slow down the the transmission of this epidemic? And that's really for everyone. Like your if you could think about it whether it be from the college campus standpoint of what your chapters are doing or even from the professional standpoint university um, in, in research in, in pharma what what are some ways that you would say that we can help to end and slow down I think the goal is by 20 was it 24 oh, we're way behind oh okay yeah. there was a goal yeah. to yeah. eradicate okay but it's, it's, 20, it's 40 years yeah, already 2035 and then Philly actually had one for 2025 Wow. Philly in particular, and both are behind. Okay. Wow. So what are some ways, you guys? We can go around and rob, round robbing it. I would say we could just try to continue to spread awareness about the severity of the actual issue, as well as trying to make sure we have equitable care and actual access for people that may not have the resources or don't have the circumstances to be able to get the medications or whatever that they need. That's awesome. Thank you. I also agree, and I think we should have more support groups, whether that be anonymous, um, on campus, because there are students affected with it, but they're don't, they don't see people that look like them or they don't feel like they can have that support to be comfortable enough to speak about it. Um, I feel like that's a major thing. Another thing, I believe, the health disparities. We need to address those things because some people don't have the education or the care they need to um, help fight the disease. One more thing, I do believe that we always need to keep up with the facts because there's always... Oh gosh, yes. It's always, people are misinformed, mm -hmm. so they believe something is not true and that also helps to make it worse. Yeah. So where would you suggest people go to get the facts? I believe, well on a college campus, I believe they should have more experts coming in and speaking to the students mm -hmm. and making them aware of it. CDC, I think, is a great website. Yeah. Dr. Brown knew what I was going to say. Um, CDC, I think, is a great website overall because they can go into different disease states. I know that there's AIDS organizations that you can definitely go and tap into. I know Dr. Brown and Dr. Jamont, you guys can probably name them off the top of your head. But I know for me, I go to CDC website. And then generally, I can find out what are the AIDS organizations from the CDC website that also focus on patients, right? So there's always, in every disease state, they have patient, you know, family groups or family organizations that help support, and they have great information that's really in layman terms, so anybody can understand it, because I think sometimes we talk in these really super high levels that everyone can't always understand if you're not in the medical field. So I think we can do a better job of how we communicate to each other. That's true. 
I know, I know um, Penn has a Center for AIDS Research that's really been pretty big and doing a whole lot of work. And we have a great community uh, engagement group, uh, a community advisory board that's really doing a lot. So, and they're working at King, trying to do some other things outside of Philly. So yeah. that's one area. And I also think that um, sex and sexuality is, is, is it. You know, people have to know how to talk about sex. People need to need to talk about sex education. We need to be able to, to discuss these things with our children, with our partners, with each other, with sisters, so that we can empower each other and give them the voice. Because we need to, only way we're going to be able to eradicate this issue is just we give, empower us with the voice and the knowledge and the skills to be able to protect ourselves and prevent it. Whether you are taking using condoms, whether you're pregnant and abstinence, whether you're taking PrEP, you know, we, we, it's the whole gamut of how do we get, and then if you take an antiviral, then you're suppressing it. So how do we get everybody on the same page to want to do this and do this? Well, I'm going to give this to you, Doc, because I know you got... <laughs> <laughs> I think you all hit on most of it. Um, the only thing that I would add is, like, have the conversation, mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. the conversation, have the conversation. Not just in the beginning, continuously all throughout. Yeah. Make sure that you're getting tested frequently. Don't ask me how much I go. <laughs> the way my get anxiety tested. has been during COVID, I get COVID tested like Every it's week. going out of style. I know. She get does. Tested. Get oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Get tested. She just, you see, it came with a lot of I'm extra. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so okay. sorry. Okay. Anyway. And then just use different, like you talked about, people are in different places on their journey, making sure that you're thinking of all the different modalities that are out there for prevention purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then reducing some of the stigma around it. Yeah. HIV is just another disease. Just just like high blood pressure, just like diabetes. And unless we're comfortable having conversations about it and educating people on it, it's not gonna go away. So we have to reduce some of the stigma around it as well is for there, people who are living with is HIV. Is there a risk when we reduce that stigma to downplaying it? Absolutely. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I think, no, I, I get I'd it. like, I don't want to know what y'all thought, because I'm like, man, you know, I hear some stories. I'd be like, y'all don't know this ninja still out here? Ninja. Like, I, I, I shouldn't call it ninja, <laughs> but, I, but, but, but a I mean, thing. yeah, it's, it's a, a generational, generational thing. thing. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So yeah. we're the start of millennials. So, the, you know, is it is it in reducing the stigma, do we run the risk of downplaying it to a point that people think, oh, it's not a big deal. Jones. No, it's yeah. a very good point. So that brings, that made me think of you equals you. Have you all heard of that? I heard of this. Mm -mm. So U equals Wasn't U. Was a campaign or something? Mm -hmm. There's okay. a campaign around it. So basically it means that undetectable means untransmittable. Oh, yes. I'm glad we brought the undetectable you thing. Yes. And yep. And so for a lot of um, people living with HIV, they feel as though they don't have to disclose their status because their viral load may be undetectable. Right. Mm. When you get a viral load, it's at one point in time. So you don't really know what's happening over time over time. The next time. The, the next other 59 time, the days time. or yep. the other 180 mm -hmm. days that are going on. And if someone is having unprotected sex, you you're running a risk. So your point is well taken about that. So the bottom line you just made is unprotected sex, regardless of what it is. And get everybody tested, get them treated, get them oh, conversations. And yeah. oh, it's scary, but it's still here. And, and what's happening in your point is well taken is that the college and next generation does not see it as hard as we've seen it when we, so they don't, they don't see it like us. They have not experienced what we've seen and the losses that have occurred along the journey. And so their vision of it is different. And so mm -hmm. their behavior is different. Yeah. Because yeah. even but, in the shows, we think about, you remember I, our I shows? Think, I it think was that was, but I think that's the point, you know, kind of what you hit on, it's not as talked about. Remember when we were younger, it was a big deal. Like, you know, they had after school specials, you had 
the real world with Pedro Zamora. So he was the first person shown on a national level that had the virus. So we don't publicize it, we don't talk about it as much anymore. And unfortunately, you know, the generation coming behind us, they don't take it as seriously because they didn't see the devastating effects of it the way that we did when we were growing up, so. Well, I'm encouraged that they do know the impact it can have. Like we have some sisters here today that do know it. Yeah. And I think it's upon us all to educate, talk about it. I, I call out my friends when they be talking crazy. Like I be like, yes. excuse Bad. me, <laughs> exactly. uh, I am the one in the group. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think it takes us all in our individual settings to do that, to bring back that conversation. So I hope you young ladies over at Temple University and Cheney University go back and say, hey, look, listen what I learned today. Like, we should be having some conversations, you know what I'm saying? And, and not making it so that we can't talk about it. And it's no judgment. Like, yo, for real though, you sound like you had a lot of fun, but let me just tell you, this ninja still out here, y'all can use my term. <laughs> Give me credit, say KB said it, okay. But I think we have to have those conversations, mm -hmm. yeah. So we just wanna thank you all for joining us today. This was an amazing, conversation and as KB said earlier I really hope that we can continue to do this whether it's yearly bi-yearly however often we decide and needs and decide that we need to have these conversations is, is it a bi-yearly we say we say bi-annual bi-annual sorry okay, I just wanted to correct somebody on the stage <laughs> no wait a second somebody corrected me earlier but you thanked okay, me with but you thanked me with how I corrected you oh I did I'm sorry it was see for sure. thank you I'm sorry Take it back. Thank Go. you. So in any event, we definitely want to thank Dr. Brown, Dr. Jamat, and Maya and Shaq for joining us today, as well as the Philadelphia alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated for hosting us and getting us all together for this important conversation. Can I just really shout out the International Awareness and Involvement Committee in yes. particular? Yes, you I can. I just want to do that. Thank you. We Continue. know the show committee. We okay. know the show committee, KB. I just want to say that again. <laughs> okay, let's go. So as we close out this official episode of the Femnor Files, we definitely want to end it with our Dope, Gifted, and Black segment. And of course, as we all know, our sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, just had our 55th National Convention in Atlanta, Georgia. And we also had a virtual component as well. But also on the second day of our convention, we named our 2021 honorary members. So we definitely want to give a shout out to our new sorors because they are dope, gifted, and black. So of course, journalists Joy Ann Reed and Abby Phillip, singer Lettucey, Navy Admiral Michelle J. Howard, Ambassador Atala Shabazz, and Colette V. Smith, who is also the NFL's first black female coach. I just want to say, how many were there? Oh, Lord, six. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Really? Is that what we're doing, Shug? Is that what we're doing? Who, who knew she was going to go to the number thing? I didn't know she was going to do that either. So, wait. So, the listeners know Shug was the number six on the line. I guess she wanted everybody to know. But how many founders was it? Can oh, we, Lord. Can we do that? Thank you, <laughs> Thank you, listeners. God bless you and good night. <laughs> there were 22 founders, but also what's 22 times two? 44. Thank you. So we all going to be in it. Y'all are so corny. All right, let's wrap it up. So again, thank you all for joining us. This has been an amazing show, an amazing episode. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye. Don't forget to listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. 
Connect with us on social media at Fem Noir Files on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye!